Hello, 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 and happy Sunday. Welcome back to the sixth and final episode of the Working Man's Football Podcast. It's an emotional one today because um, it's going to be the last instalment of the series. I did joke a couple of episodes back that um, football had returned, albeit it was the K-League in Korea, but we've um, we've got the, the Bundesliga back, we've got uh, La Liga back, and the Premier League, of course, returns on uh, Thursday night in England, Friday morning where I am in Australia. Um, so it is time to uh, to move on to something else. My pre-season's underway now. I've done three football training sessions this week, Monday, Thursday, Saturday. I don't think I've ever done three football training sessions, so my legs um, my legs aren't too happy with me at the moment. But yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be back. We're obviously getting close here in Australia, which is a situation that I'm very 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 grateful for. Um, and we just got to keep doing keep doing things right and um, and finish the job now. But um, Doing this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I've had a, a couple of workmates on. Um, I've had family members on. You know, I've had people from sort of social groups that I found during my time in Melbourne as well. Um, and one of the few areas that I that I hadn't managed to chalk off was um, my old schoolmates. Um, so that is the connection for today's episode. It's a couple of Manchester derbies, and uh, man, I can remember the pain I went through. Certainly at high school being the lone City fan in the school year. And the first game we're going to cover is actually the last derby at Main Road, um, where, to coin an Aussie phrase, we uh, got the wood over United in that particular game. And it was a very, very joyous uh, afternoon for me. Although when I turned up at school on Monday morning and tried to gloat about it, the United fans were very nonchalant. Yeah, whatever, you know, I don't really care anyway. Uh, but looking back, I can see they were probably seething about it. Um, I should have gone a little bit harder on them at the time, and I probably should have gone a little bit harder on the boys during the podcast as well, but I had to be careful uh, because they might have returned fire on me with uh, the second game we covered, which was the 4-3 the where Michael Owen scored the winner in 2009, and very much a City team in transition and very much a United team in transition. And It's interesting to hear what the boys say about uh, those periods for both teams and how the pendulum was... Um, starting to at least swing back and forth between the two teams. It really hadn't for a couple of years in Manchester as well. So, listen, on with the show. Um, I'll wrap it up at the end because I've got many thank yous to to give out for um, help and support, time and energy in doing this. Um, but let's cover that off at the end. Enjoy part one, followed by part two, which is City 3, United 1 and United 4, City 3. The Working Man's Football Podcast, or the connection this week, is definitely not Working Man's. Uh, Callum, I feel like you're almost a linchpin of this because you're one of my oldest mates and best mates from uh, right back to, to day one of high school. But of course, since then, um, through you being said linchpin, become pretty good mates with uh, Jack who joins us. One of my few mates to come over and see us in Australia as well. So it's a pretty special one for me to roll back the years and um, catch up with someone and do the podcast from Melbourne and have someone on the pod in the UK that can kind of half, half imagine uh, what it's like here. How are you both doing before we start? Good, mate. Really good. Really good. I was actually on um walk doing retail part yesterday, Dan. I can't think why you moved to Melbourne. <laughs> I don't know what drew you there. Especially since M&S Food went in. I've, I've often questioned <laughs> that myself when I go up to my dad's on the top of the hill. I think it was 
AJB sock cage went, and Dan was like, right, that's it, I'm out of here. I was thinking about that the other day, I can't remember why, but yeah, I do miss that, especially on rainy Saturday afternoons with nothing to do if my dad wasn't working and City were away. We'd just roll down there and try and keep warm and kick about. Well, um, we've got to... We're going to talk Manchester derbies this uh, this pod, um, so I feel a little bit ganged up upon, but hopefully you'll be um, you'll be pretty fair as I've tried to be to um, the red contingent of Manchester thus far. We've got two games to talk about. The first one to be really... fair, Dan, me and me and Callum are far more likely to argue than me with you and you, Callum. <laughs> I think so. You'd be all right. Well, well, we'll see because I, I, I think through this, I, I want to talk about a couple of players and get your views on them. So we'll see if you're aligned or we'll see how divisive it becomes. Now, um, the first game we're going to have a talk about is um, the last derby at Main Road. City hadn't won a Manchester derby for 21 years. And I think we had a couple of years before Beckham scored uh, a free kick in a 1-0 at Main Road. That was the first one since we yo-yoed up and down. And you probably remember the return leg was at Old Trafford where we drew 1-1. Um, Roy Keane got sent off and he, he did Haaland's knee. So good for us to get the point, but obviously left us with a bit of, uh, pretty pretty bad taste in our mouth. But before we get stuck into that game and then roll forward to um, an epic clash a few years later, I'll start with you, Jack. What was your first United game? Who was it against? First United game was Oldham Athletic. Oh, uh, 93-94. Yeah. yeah, it's like great team to say was your first game. I think we beat them 3-2. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of a 2 and for old game. Gig scored an header. Um, first 15 minutes like vivid vivid memories of that I, I have vivid memories of like the 90s and I have vivid memories up to about after 2007-2008 and honestly like I couldn't the second game we're going to do is about where my football knowledge sits I don't remember anything in the last 5-10 years it's really weird how like your brain soaks up information how it works so yeah. I actually feel like the older stuff I could probably talk about a little bit better yeah fair enough Callum who was your first favourite United player um, Eric, yep. straight away. Yeah. But the then catalyst of a team that took us to league titles year after year. Um, and then Keane, or Roy Keane. Yeah. And Swag Dog after. <laughs> she loves Lion King. Inside joke there between the boys. Um, now, if I think about that United team with with um, with Cantona in it, and then I think about this team for the game that we're going to talk about. When did Cantona leave United? What year was it? Say again, Dan. What? When did Cantona leave United? What year was it? Played in '97. Yeah. So two yeah. years later, you you win the treble. Um, the class of '92 is in the team. It's a very British team as well. You know, you add in a few other players like David May, for example, and then you sort of go on this continental transition. You know, Veron comes in, you sign Blanc, and you're trying to bolster the squad to play in Europe. How how wide was the gap between that late nineties team and um, that sort of continental team Fergie was trying to build to reconquer Europe again, maybe win the Champions League in in Scotland, you know? And was he was he stretching the team a bit too far to try and change too quickly? Because he was a master at transitioning the yeah. squads. Yeah, I think I, I think that the depth here is like is is the thing that we're probably lacking the most in this time, particularly up front. I think in this game, I think Keane and Beckham weren't available, so like Solskjaer was playing out wide. That seemed to happen a lot between like two thousand and two until Ronaldo came, mm. and I just think going forward we didn't have the same kind of players to bring on or the same plan Bs that we maybe did in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, it is in the. You had the four, and I think that kind of fizzled out with York going, 
Andy Cole going, Sheringham going. I mean, we've got Rude, who for me is one of the, if not the mm. greatest goal scorer I've ever seen in my life. Um, so, yeah, it kind of was a bit of a transition going forward. Yeah. I, I think the thing with Van Nistel Roy is, and he would get in my United 11 of all time, in my lifetime anyway, from I can remember seeing. Um, but at the same time, I think that every team we had with Van Nistel Roy in, it had to, everything had to go through him. Mm. Whereas, you know, when we sold him eventually and it was Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney and it was free moving and when it was arguably they were better teams. Um, but he was he was unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rattle through the city team and then we'll come back to that in a second. So we had and you forget actually, Peter Schmeichel played in this Manchester derby, but not for you, for us. And there's that moment in the tunnel between Neville and Schmeichel, and Gary Neville's talked about this a lot, where he says, you said you were retiring, like, what are you doing playing in a Manchester derby? We had Richard Dunn, and this, this is how poor we were a few years later, that Richard Dunn became City's player of the season four years on the spin. Gerard Vikins is a bit of a cult hero. Lucian Matomo, we were really short at the back at the time. I think we'd signed Sylvan Distan at this point. He was injured, so was Steve Howie. Sunji High, that's a cult hero there. Ail Berkovic. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips came off the bench, Mark Vivian Foe. And um, uh, you talked about lacking a bit of depth up front. I think we did in midfield to a degree. Danny Tiato was deployed in midfield that day. Again, another cult player. Uh, Nicholas Jensen, Denmark fullback. And then, of course. Uh, How many Mancunians in this team, Dan? Good question. I, wouldn't, I don't think there's any, is there? Good question. Let's, <laughs> let's have a look at the United team because there is a couple in there. So. Saying that because I knew it. <laughs> How about the legend Kevin Harlock on the bench? Favorite player, favorite player. That's why we're number six because of Super Kev. No, Jesus Christ! We were, we, you know, this is City in the nineties. You, you're scratching around a bit for the heroes at the time. <laughs> but what I wanted to talk about was like for for us, if you just you you feared Derby Day because the 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 the, the gap in talent was just too big. Bartes, Gary Neville, Blanc, Ferdinand, um, Silvestre. Solskjaer, even if he was out of position, Solskjaer, Veron, Phil Neville playing in the centre of midfield, and then Giggs, Scholes, and Van Nistelrooy. I guess what I wanted to ask you was, like I say, we, we really feared these teams. They were super good. You could never admit it at the time. But were the weak links in that team for you as United fans at the time? You know, Were we worrying a bit too much? Did you think the team could have been stronger and had weaknesses? Bart says with Dodger. <laughs> yeah. Bartes was dodgy and like it, it, it's funny with defenders because I think the further you go back in your football memory the less you, you remember defenders really cause you just don't remember defending but I never remember looking at Laurent Blanc and thinking it was any good I know he had a great career and he won everything but I always thought he had he had a bit of a mistake in him or he could be roughed up which it was slow kind of this. so yeah mm. yeah well, for sure remember Fernand with his bleach blonde hair in this match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a shame actually because I'd say Fernand is the best defender I've seen. But these this, these two games we've picked is horrendous in both of them. I concur with everything that you just said there about his quality and his performance in these games. Yeah, uh, he was a real modern day defender in the sense of confident on the ball, bringing the ball forward. And actually, you look at both City teams in these games. We really lack that, and I don't think we ever really had anyone that you could mention the same breath as Ferdinand for being that type of player. We've always we've always missed that, especially in Europe. He's brilliant at that. He could win a battle, though. He could win a battle as well, and, and rarely did you ever see him, you know, get get kind of run at and get and get set about like he does in these two games. Yeah, 
Definitely. All right, well, let's get stuck into it because um, in um, in this particular game, Nicholas Anelka's playing up front for us and for me, he's a steal when we sign him. I think we got him for um, maybe 13 million or something like that, which was a lot of money then. Um, and it was a you know a lot of pressure on a bit of an enigma type player. Maybe not so much the bad boy as a Balotelli and that much of a gamble, but a player with that much talent being head and shoulders above the rest of the team, it really could have gone either way. Um, the goal's a decent one, in my view. It's um, it's a decent counter-attack. I don't know where Sylvester is, and I don't know where Gary Neville is when the ball goes in the back of the net. They're <laughs> still on the halfway line having a cup of tea. Um, Neville, Neville gives it away. Yeah. yeah, I think Sylvester goes up the wing, doesn't he? He crosses it, it fizzles out, and then Phil Neville, Phil Neville gives it away. He's under a bit of pressure in the middle. I guess what I wanted to ask you was, when a goal goes in early in a Manchester derby, what runs through your head when you concede early? Uh, I think I think at that time it was never that much of a problem for us. I know it sounds really arrogant, but I think looking at the quality of the teams on show and our our reputation for you know hitting back and chasing back leads and things like that, I wouldn't. It's, it never really felt like doom and gloom at, at, at that time. I wouldn't say, particularly when it happened so early, because I think. When, when there's a team who are underdogs score so well, and to be fair, City these days the prime example of if you go if you go to City if you go to City as an away team and score too early, it can be the worst thing that you do. Yeah, and I think at the time there was maybe a little bit of that, maybe a bit of arrogance about it. Then I mean, well, it's shown anyway with Solskjaer in back two minutes after, but mm. that is right, Jack. That was the thing with United back in the day. It's like I say with City now, you kind of always knew. Without saying now we get new thought that he was always going to come back. Mm. So, and I mean, when you've got Mamito, Vikings, and Richard Dunn at centre half, <laughs> you kind of uh, expected it. Obviously, Vikings makes a few last ditches though. This game, I was like, who, who was he? Oh, he actually looked pretty decent this game. He was, yeah, cult hero. My granddad wasn't a fan of him. You know, we sat next to each other in the corner of the Pat Lane stand, and he thought he was a bit soft, but. I thought he could make a few crunching tackles, but he didn't need to go in hard. He, he was, you know, he knew how to time a tackle. His positioning was decent, and maybe not good enough to have longevity in the Premier League. But when we were bouncing around the lower divisions, lucky to have a player like that. Mm. But take us through this equaliser anyway. Solskjaer drifting in, and Van Nistelrooy's pre-celebration. Take us through that. Ah, oh, brilliant. So, so, so there's so there's there's a bit of there's a, there's a bit of build up on the left. I think Van Nistelrooy tries. Tries dodging past Vikings and it might be Richard Dunn. It breaks out and the ball that Giggs puts in, Giggs just puts the first time ball in, kind of on the half volley, in between keeper and last defender. Solskjaer's got a tap in, but Van Nistelrooy celebrating about five seconds before it goes in. <laughs> it's brilliant, and, and, and it, I was watching it. I never noticed it at the time, but it, but but it reminded me of playing a little bit when you just I don't know you just you know you your sense of knowing what's going to happen and your emotions overtaking you a little bit. But it was like, it, it was really, really, really like good to see actually that professional football has still got that kind of, you look like a kid. Yeah. The best way to describe it. Can I just say as well, in the build-up to that, um, Paul Scholes with an absolute unbelievable tackle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? It's unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah there's a lot of that. But like saying about the rude celebrating just before that was um, 
kind of knew. I suppose when Solskjaer got the ball in them areas, it was only one one result. Uh, his arms going up in the air are almost symbolic of right normal service restored it game on yeah you know and um, obviously if we fast forward a little bit I mean it's probably a horrible moment for you to to relive but uh, it's probably an even more horrible moment for Gary Neville to relive when he gets shown the video of it but that is it's not Sunday league defending it's Sunday league playing you know you either get rid or you just clip it up to the halfway line and right down at option L is try and dribble your way out of this like you're some sort of future Gerard Piquet or something. What's yeah. he playing at? But, but five minutes before that, there was a set piece and they floated to the back post and they've obviously targeted Neville and Foe climbs over Neville and it's and it's man against boy. Like, it looks ridiculous. It looks like... It looks mad, but uh, like he ran it easily and I, the commentators made a big thing about it, about them targeting Neville. So looking back at it, I don't know whether this is in Neville's head here where he's thinking... If I knock it out of play, the crowd will be on top of us. We'll get a set piece. I'll be targeted again. Like, never thought at the time, but looking back, I don't know whether he's thinking that and that's why he's in two minds and he's actually mm. tried to keep the ball. Yeah. But it's horrendous. Really, really bad. Gary Neville, well, and, uh, sorry, Andy Gray on commentary as well. He, I, he, he bigged everything up, Andy Gray, didn't he? He says 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for not giving it up and 11 out of 10 for the finish. And it was just like, <laughs> it wasn't a special finish, was it? You put yeah, it like... Next to Bartes. Tell you what, though, they got lucky because that ball, what actually ended up with Neville, was such an hit and all. Yeah. It just. Yeah, it was as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the quality isn't in fantastic. Let's, let's flow it over the top and see what happens. But the person you're playing behind the lines isn't Sean Gota. You know, Darren Uckerby's mm. on the bench. He's the one that you clip into space behind in in in, in, mm. in that squad. I've got a mate over here, and you know the, the the obviously the treble winning team, and you know Gary Neville stuck around at United all of his career. Um, you know, he's captain for a good portion of it as well, and he never really came under too much pressure. You know, we talked off uh, off recording about the soccer box program he did, and um, he's done one with Jamie Carragher, I think. Carragher always said he was really confident in his ability. Other players were signed, you know, at the back, right back, left back, and he always felt he could shrug him off. You know, why was it that Fergie trusted him so much, never looked to maybe sign someone to give him a bit of pressure? My mate thinks he's a bit of a weak link of that team and he's a little bit overrated. Where, where do you think it sits? Was he or, or was he a decent player and you, you just didn't need to, to look for competition there? Uh, I think I think I think that he's. I don't think he's the most talented player in the world. I think it's well documented that you know the, the biggest thing about him is 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 his mindset, his willingness to work, his willingness to learn. And I think in general, like in football as a whole, that is the most underrated and overlooked, and the most probably under talked about attribute is like is is his players that you know how strong are they mentally, you know how how hard do they work, are they kind you know the kind of people who stay in training, are they, kind of people who live the life are the kind of people who get themselves up for big games and actually care yeah. and I think he's obviously the, the the epitome of it you know you, you look at it today you're looking like you know you're looking at people like Scott McTominay who you know talks brilliantly and you know knows knows what it's all about and I think I think that's the thing we never and I think that's what carried him through and I think that's why as fans you know that's why we love players like that because that's a big that's to me a bigger achievement than someone like Cantona doing the things that he did mm. yeah but I think right. He does say, he says, I was never the most skillful, I was never the fastest, but he worked the hardest. 
Mm. Like Jack mentioned Scott McTominay then, that's what we've got with Scott. I mean, to be honest, he's turned into a little beast now, but his attitude is the best attitude. Attitude, that's what Gary Neville had, the best attitude, working hard. McTominay's going that way as well. Yeah. Especially and, like, and that's why in, in every one of these teams that we had that, you know, in, in our you know, different teams that kind of dominated the league at different times. We'd always have two or three, two, three, four of these players that you could call on any time. Yeah. And I think that's the decision about attitude is whether you uh, employ it or not as a player. Some players are naturally intelligent. You think like Dennis Bergkamp's an obvious example. And I remember reading a lot of chat about Fellaini when he was at United and how he managed to get into the team so much. And I think most people that coached him, it might have been Ryan Giggs actually when he was assistant, said he just got it. You give him some instructions and he'd get it, whether it was in training mm-hmm. or you'd take him, you'd, you'd throw him off the bench or you, you know, he was playing of a particular day and obviously he was, he wasn't so much of a fan favorite, you know, at, at United, not a typical United type player and maybe the appreciation yeah. grew for him over time, but then when you hear coaches that are just under so much pressure and are juggling so many balls to try and you know drive success and drive results and you can just go to one player and say this is your job and they do it. You can sort of see how a player ends up, you know, staying in the team. Yeah. To, to be fair, Fellaini probably got pretty basic instructions that were quite easy to follow. <laughs> <laughs> to be a fly on the wall, eh? He's um, not going to get many complicated messages, is he? I don't think. No. Well, <laughs> we, we know the game finishes 3 1. Um, we, we should go into the break 3 1 up because there's a counter attack again uh, and an Elka breaks. And um, in fairness to Bartes, he comes up with the business and um, he denies him. But. At that point, as a City fan at half-time, you're thinking, oh, they're going to come back here. You know, if we bury that one, two-goal cushion, perfect. Because they say 2-1 is the worst result, the worst scoreline at half-time. What yeah. did you think going into half-time with that game and re-watching it? Did you think, you know, forget it, we'll turn this around, typical United? Um, yeah. Go on, Cal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's what we always thought. <laughs> going back to like Jack saying about signing Oregon, but... Yeah, uh, 2-1 going in. I mean, and Elke should have done what Sean Golder did for the third and just dinked it. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I mean, it was pretty much straight out of Barca's. Yeah, and Elke's the difference in this game. I mean, like, the first thing you think of when you think of the game is like Golder and Schmeichel cartwheeling, but like, and Elke's unbelievable, mm. like all game. And, and and the thing is, with you got this like incredible sub nickname and stuff like that, but his willingness to run and work, like, do, do you remember him like that, Dan? Or do you remember him being lazy? Like, what was that? Just a media interpretation? That yeah, I think it was a media interpretation. I think you summed it up well there. His work rate was really good, um, and yeah. he was really really talented. And I think just after a while, um, we we moved to the new stadium, and then we were sort of plateauing. You know, clubs think moving to a new stadium um, it's going to bring in more fans, more money. You know, it's it's sort of a polishing of the operation and you go on to bigger and better things. And maybe he didn't see it. Um, and if he didn't, he was probably right because for a couple of years we were signing, you know, sort of A-grade players that were really in the twilight of the career um, or we were signing, you know, B-grade B players. I mean, I remember us replacing uh, Benabia who just clicked for City. And we replaced him with Antoine Sibierski, who, you know, lovely bloke by all accounts, like a tidy player, but he'd done it in the French League, sort of no, no disrespect. And then we had players like McManaman and Paul Bosfeld, Michael Tarnat, you know, in the day playing for their international sides. These were all forces, 
Um, mm. But it was just too late for him, and obviously it worked out great for Anelka. He goes overseas, plays for Chelsea, plays for Liverpool, and he wins a bag full of mm. trophies. So you can't deny him leaving, really. Mm. Yeah. Great player. Great player. Um, you mentioned what? the third. Sorry, go on. Thoughts on the goal, Dan? Oh, legend of a bloke. You remember before I moved to Australia, I moved into Manchester briefly while we were job-seeking and sorting visas out and things like that. And we needed a bit of a bit of gear for the house. And normally, I would be in and out of Ikea in Warrington on the way back from my work trips up and down the M6, just picking up bits and pieces for the flat that we had in Wardgan. And um, this place was empty, it had nothing. So, okay, let's go to Ikea on a Friday night. And who do we run into? Sean Goater his wife and daughter, because he's kitting her house out as well. And 20 minutes later, like, Keely's eating an hot dog. Like, come on, hurry up. Me and Sean Goat are just talking about, like, all <laughs> City games and stuff. Loved him. Legend. I, uh, you know, you know Farney, don't you, Gary Farnworth? Yeah. Um, him and his Bobby, uh, they annually host Sean Goat a day. Yeah. Every year, they all get leathered and wear they- masks. I did a bit weird, to be honest, but each of their own. <laughs> so if um, one of their um, I saw an interview with Goat years ago and apparently him and Lee Sharp were really good mates he came over to trial for us and I think him and Lee Sharp were roommates in Diggs uh, and he says that he used to he used to go and see like Lee Sharp's family at weekend and stuff like that like really good pals I think Sharp said like he was hilarious, like, hilarious apparently because he's this massive 16 year old Bermudan who's just moved in and he's suffering in Salford in the middle of winter but um, if, you, if you read up those are some good stories about him actually yeah. But I never knew he, I never, uh, um, until watching the game back and the commentary mentions um, that he, had, he was at United first. He was. Mm. Trial. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he was. I, th- I think he just looked around and said, um, and it was similar with Stephen Island, although he had an Island plays in the second game we're going to talk about, a different experience. I think um, he just felt like he wasn't going to cut it there. Goater and you know he, he got released and he tried his he tried his luck elsewhere and with Ireland you know he has this memory of Ferguson approaching him in the corridors and you know that it would have been Ferguson trying to get inside his head and motivate him but it just wasn't the the motivation strategy Ireland needed and he said we've got we've got plenty of Irish players around here already mate and Ireland took it as a sign of fine you know I'll, I'll leave then I'm not going to get in and it was probably baiting him to 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 raise it a level. And uh, yeah. yeah, he didn't rise to the challenge, and he ended up at City for a period. He was a really good player. Um, you mentioned uh, the dink, um, which Anelka should have uh, used for the for the third. Yeah, obviously when that one goes in, um, stupidly as a City fan, you think it's game over, but it just never is until the final whistle goes against United. So it's five minutes of elation, you know, followed by a large period of um, probably half an hour of just anxiety. After that, and um, it's probably one of the few games where you know United don't get back into it perhaps as strongly as uh, I um, as I expected. What did you think of the closing periods there? Did it look like they were they were beaten and they give up a little bit, or what was your take on it? Well, just going back to the third goal, I think uh, Phil Neville gives it away again, but there's a ball from is it Berkovic who sends it through. Mm. That's on a plate. That that's yeah, a great, great ball. Oh. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's he it gives it away, and I think there's one touch from Foe, one touch from uh, Berkovic, but he sort of has to lean back Berkovic and get his foot almost at like chest level to 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 prod it forward and get the ball down. 
he was quality, Berkovic. You know, at times he could demonstrate a few histrionics and he could argue with the referee, but when you got him singing, he was a really, really good player. You know, yeah, that 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 goal was just pure, like just just when it's going for a team, just when a team's working. Yeah, like the height that the ball came at Berkovic, he knocked him down at, and the way go took his first touch and finish. It's it, you know they, they, probably, they probably they probably never did that again in the time playing together. It was just what just the perfect day where everything comes together. I think. Indeed. It was made of like Michael's reactions and celebrations and like that. But something I have to say on here that does my head in is like how precious football fans in general are and how United fans are about Schmeichel and things like this. Like people forget that you know, you, you Schmeichels, your Paul Ince's, your Mark Hughes, your players who've left and celebrated when they've done things against us or tried to spoil parties and things like that. They're not United fans. They're not, do you know what I mean? They're, they're not born and bred in, in, in Salford or Stretford and, and they don't go to games as kids. Mm. Like, and, and, and these qualities about them and how they want to win and how they're celebrating, you know, their wins against us is what made them the players they were for us. Like, it, it, honestly, it baffles me sometimes. Yeah, the people's like reactions to it and how personally they take things like that. Well, don't agree with that, Jack. The, prick. Well, let, let's take a little break, <laughs> and that that is going to segue us nicely into our next game, where one uh, player that lines up for City is a very recent former Man United player. Carlos Tevez. Indeed. Okay, so we're going to cover off um, an absolute goal fest of a Manchester derby back from uh, September 2009. Seven goal thriller this one. And I've actually just realised, I think it's the first Manchester derby without Cristiano Ronaldo, if I'm not mistaken. He joined yeah, Madrid, yeah, yeah, this was the season he went. Yeah, him and Tevez went. Yeah, and yeah. I've heard many United players talk, and many United fans about them being, you know, the, probably the best front three you've ever had, or at least you know within the Premier League era as well. So I, I guess let's start there because Tevez coming over to City was a bit of a watershed moment for us. But this then yeah. also is he wants to leave. It doesn't work out at United, and so forces a move out. Maybe don't know he's going to City at first. Ronaldo has been floating with Madrid for a while. Did it feel like the team was, you know, coming apart a little bit? And did you have confidence that you were going to rebuild again? What was the the outlook for United fans at the time then? Well, when I was absolutely gutted personally, Tevez when he signed for us, um, I think that was the last United shirt that I bought. I was just going to say that Tevez. I had Tevez thirty-two on the back. So when he left, I was gutted. I mean, them two seasons, um, I was at Old Trafford a lot with Jack because Jim had had an operation, uh, Jack's dad, and it was just great times watching them three. Mm. Uh, I remember going, remember when we went, it, when we played West Ham at the end of the season, Jack, and uh, we won 4-1, mm. and it was a few minutes late, mm. and we got it, it was like settled down a few minutes in, and Ronaldo had already scored, remember? Yeah, we didn't even know, did we? Wow. Come on, then we looked, looked at the scoreboard about 10 minutes in, we like, shit, it's 1-0, <laughs> like, who scored? <laughs> he was just relentless like literally you go watching him without a care or a bit of anxiety in the world it was like we were just rampant every week the yeah. season before this was when we got Berbatov in which was obviously the beginning of the end for Tevez and it was, it was a funny one Berbatov obviously like you know unbelievable talent like you know great player did I prefer watching the teams with Tevez in yeah I did 
Um, but obviously that was I think the thing is with our 99 team and the strength in depth we had in depth we had in strikers there it was a nice balance because you know we have four great strikers who could all do it any day but you had people who were happy to not happy to sit out but 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 you know your Solskjaer yeah. and your Sheringhams they kind of accept that they'd sit on the bench obviously Berbatov Tevez Rooney Ronaldo not playing up front at the time although he did in the Champions League final I think the year before and when you've got those four egos, like something's got to give and it was never going to work. And I think out of those four, and I know Ronaldo went, but I think Tevez was, was, was the obvious one to go there, really. Yeah. Um, but like, like, you know, like Callum said, I think, I think we suffered a lot because of it and, and, you know, loved him when he played for us. I think, yeah, I don't think, I don't think Tevez was the obvious one because I think Ronaldo was always going to go. I think he, we didn't beat Chelsea the year before he might have gone then. But I mean, with Tevez, he kind of, did want to stay. I mean, when he scored, was it, it was against City, wasn't it? When he scored and the held his ears up, the held his ears Yeah, shoot. yeah. As if to say, like, sign me up kind of thing. I think he, I think he would have stayed. But mm. obviously, I read something recently, something Gary Neville said about, um, like, last season, it was all a bit, a bit everywhere kind of thing. So, I was, in his ear and stuff like that. It's a nice problem like, to have though, isn't it? When, you know, you've got so much talent and they're all chomping at the bit to play. I mean, I'm not criticising um, Sheringham and Solskjaer because as the game has gone on over the years, it's become more of a, a squad game to be successful. You know, the volume of games people are playing, the intensity at which people play at, from a physical point of view, you need a squad because you're picking up you're picking up injuries. Like I'll give you a comparison. The AFL season's rebooted this weekend and... They have massive squads and play once a week. Yeah, it's a more physically demanding game because you know there's upper body tackling and things like that. But they're playing, you know, a game a week. And you think in the Premier League, some players are playing sixty games a season. And if they play an international tournament or the African Cup of Nations, they go through. But I think this was an issue for you a couple of years before because essentially it sort of is the catalyst, Ronaldo for Van Nistelrooy going, isn't it? You know, Fergie has to make a call about how you're going to play, and you know Van Nistelrooy's kind of kind of time is is up at that point in time. So nice problem to have when you've got Tevez, Rooney, Berbatov, Ronaldo to try and squeeze into your team mm. uh, and retain I mean, a it couple was... of them. Ronaldo, we got the wing wizard Gabriel Albertson in. Of course, of yeah, course. To be, to be to be fair, the strength in depth we had up front was tremendous. So our midfield, I mean, I know Scholes is suspended and Carrick's on the bench. Interestingly, like I don't remember Carrick being on the bench that much, whether they were arresting him or what. I know he likes Fletch for the big games. Seems to like Anderson in the big games, actually. Um, but, you know, you had and you, you had Park as well, who, who were almost like you know three of his big go-to midfielders in these games. But, you know, for, for everything they brought in terms of work rate and attitude, there was a big lack of quality there, I think. I'm glad you talked about Anderson, because I'm interested to get the United fans' take on it. Not that you know, City fans or any other fan looked at him and said, you know, what's going on there? Probably did at first with players like Fletcher and Park. And over time, it becomes clearer to an opposition fan why they're so valuable. I think lots of people used to say about Gareth Barry for us and City fans almost immediately fell in love with Gazbaz. Um, but with Anderson, I think he's got 19 appearances for Gremio, 18 for Porto. He comes with a price tag. He scores a really important penalty in the Champions League final shootout. And then after that, not as not as much. Was was Anderson, was it a failure at United? Could he have fulfilled um, a bit more of his potential? On, on what terms come. did he leave? Was I expectancy from him when he come? Um, 
I think he was more like a cult hero more than anything. Mm. Uh, yeah. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Like, I thought he, I I hated him. I hated him. I thought he was I thought he was horrendous. Like I, I think it's Gary Neville who says as well. He said, he said his problem was is that he couldn't drive past the McDonald's without stopping. <laughs> he, like he, apparently he's he's I got sure you, can, <laughs> you can relate to that problem, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, no, 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 but apparently, apparently, like his attitude was horrendous in terms of professionality. But if you ask anyone about at that time what he was like in the club, he was really important in the dressing room, apparently, and everyone loved him. Okay. Ferguson apparently absolutely adored him. He just had this way about him. Um, you know, English wasn't great, wasn't the hardest worker, but for some reason, he kind of held the, the, the dressing room together and they all loved him like, like. Enigma, he, really interesting character, actually. To be fair, but but when I when I used to go watching him every week, I, I like nah, wasn't for me, <laughs> wasn't for me yep. at all. Uh, the other player that you come in with, Nana, yeah, you love Nana. I love Nana. I think he's so underrated. I think he's so under. He could do anything. He could do literally anything. He was frustrating, but yeah, yeah. He'd come up with important goals and he come up with magic and he could he could he could yeah. win you a game. Part yeah. of Nani for you is is a bit like what Jeko at times became for us because Jeko was a player who he he could do the simple things either perfectly or he could screw them up somehow. And when he did them perfectly yeah. and he did them out the textbook, you went, "Wow, technically that's a quality player." And then when he mucked it mm-hmm. up, it was so frustrating. There's just no middle ground, and maybe it was a little bit like that for Nani for you. I don't know. Yeah, the thing is with frustrating wingers is like the, if. If a winger's frustrating you, it's usually because they're trying something. And I think if you're if you're playing out wide, if you're playing the front of a front three or whatever, you should be trying things. You should be gambling. You should you know you you should be putting in ten crosses. And you know if if four aren't great, then you know that that comes with the territory. It's it's players who play out wide and players who play in these wide front three positions. Alexis Sanchez for us is the number one culprit of. He just comes inside and passes it like just doesn't. Or he just thinks it's the far post. Like no. No creativity, no imagination, no. So for me, I can kind of, I can take a frustrating winger, you know, any day if if they, if at the end of the season they've got a certain amount of assists and goals. Sure. Well, let's get stuck into this game. I mean, it's it's abundantly clear that the United team is is still strong, arguably stronger. There's a couple of players that played in that earlier derby that feature here. Ferdinand uh, O'Shea was in the squad that day, um, and Ryan Giggs, obviously. Um, the city, the city squad is considerably stronger. We've almost cannibalised uh, most Premier League clubs that have um, that have saw pound signs and have had to uh, part ways with um, with uh, some of the talent. Shea Given being a good example. Wayne Bridge, Julian Lescott, Colo Torre, uh, Gareth Barry, who we picked up obviously from Villa. And I, I, it, it, I forgot this that actually De Jong was a Mark Q signing. I didn't realise that. And of course, Tevez and of course, Bellamy. Now, for me, I think about this City team, probably this year where we didn't win anything and it took us a couple of years to win anything. But this year and um, probably Mancini's first year is the year where I felt we had a squad that had sort of the most match winners in it, the most grit in the team. Zabaleta's on the bench. We still have Petrov in the team who, um, you know, was an attacking player, but, he, you know, he'd maybe put the boot in every now and again. Um, I talked about, obviously, Barry and, and De Jong, but this is the time when... Mark Hughes says he wants to knock United off the perch. Fergie's saying the noisy neighbour stuff. I take it, you'll have to confirm for me, that there wasn't really that much fear from 
from United fans at the time about City, probably saw it would be something that would come and go. Is that fair to say? And if so, what was the point where you sort of sat up and took notice of City and went, ah, we've got a problem here? This was the one for me. This was the one. Like, like not just because not just because of the players that you were signing and the money and everything else, but because I knew that we were on our way down. Like, so, so I remember this game being massive. Like, even before the game, I know it was a big result and it was big momentum off the back of it. But even before the game, I remember this one being like huge, bigger than any derby I can remember. I think uh, the old Tevez situation had uh, a lot to do with it as well. Mm. Um, he hit the post early on. Yeah, yeah. Was, thank God, like <laughs> kind of moment. But yeah, but I think I think as well though. Looking at the team, obviously you know you, you've got the team you have now, and you you know you can sign anyone in the world really. But if you look at this team, you actually, although you've had money and you know you've had, had money thrown at the job and stuff like that, it, it was actually a really well built team in terms of the transition. Like you just mentioned, Given and Bridge, and you know you got Barry and Lescott and De Jong and. Bellamy, really good example. Players who never really let you down. So I think, although you know, although you have had your, you know, you definitely had your help in terms of where you're at now. I think it was done in a, in a, you know, a common sense way. Yeah. And they saw Jake. <laughs> yeah. What you say? I think you well, sold. Sold who? Say again. Sold your soul to the shake. Here we go. Turn it up. Um, <laughs> We, um, you, you should score earlier than you do, arguably. You break away and it's a great tackle from Micah Richards. And I was thinking, God, how young was he then? Like, Micah Richards is one of these few players that we had around the squad that spent a decent period of time with City. Obviously, injuries plagued him in the end. But you do score early, very similar to the other game that we spoke about. Rooney nets within the yeah. second minute. And we equalise semi-quickly with um, Barry equalising um, on, on the 16th minute as well. But I, I reversed the question on myself. I thought, we're in trouble town here. You know, we've talked up this derby and we're getting sucked into the we've signed Tevez and all these players. And two minutes down, <laughs> Rooney sticks it in the back of the net. It's not a great start, is it? Ben Foster had an absolute murder for the City equaliser. There's one before. There's a clearance before as well, and that that kind of that sets the tone for his day. Where Tevez nearly closes him down in the first five minutes. Yeah, he's up for it, Tevez, isn't he? He's really up for it. He's really feeding off the crowd. But it's funny you mentioned that goal. When I rewatched the Barry goal, I said it at the time. I watched this in the pub. Couldn't get a ticket for it. I'm sure one of both of you were there. Um, I remember us equalising at Wembley in '99, and the ball. It was a really wet wet afternoon and the keeper Vince Bartram came out and there was a bit of a melee on the edge of the box and Kevin Orlock was just Gillingham yeah and Kevin Orlock yeah. was just I knew, I knew we couldn't go an hour and a half without you mentioning Gillingham Dan. well it is it is the ultimate football comeback of May 1999 there were some other games happening at the time but you know whatever and uh, Kevin Orlock just daisy cuts one along the top of the grass and it's a similar finish and I remember it at the time and I just thought go on Gaz Really big Gareth mm. Barry fan. Same as United fans appreciate Carrick. I think we've got a mutual love for, for, for Gareth Barry there. But you're right. Yeah. Foster was Foster your weak link at the time, do you think? Well the Foster thing's funny. He was on he was on Peter Crouch's podcast the other week and I listened to it and he talks about this game. I think Van der Sar had broken his hand, so he was out for a few months. And he basically, you know, he talks about having a a, a, a bad start, being nervous. You know, I think a couple of years before he's playing on he's literally playing like amateur football on a Saturday. Um, in, in the Midlands somewhere but he said after the game obviously everyone's buzzing they're off the hook Owen scored 
And Ferguson said to him, don't you ever fucking pull that shit again. And then he did it again two or three weeks later against Sunderland. He, he did it again. And I think last last minute we equalised and got a draw. And then he basically just, Ferguson just said in front of the full dressing room, just stripped him down and said, you're finished. And we sold him in May. Van der Sar came back, he didn't play. And then literally, and then when, when you sell a player in May, in the summer, do you know what I mean? You know, the car's been marked for a while. So this yeah. was like, for Foster, this was it for us, really. This and one of the mistake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair to oh, a great career. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He stood the test of time, hasn't he? Like many goalkeepers, you know, they continue to play. You know, Brad Friedel's another example as well, who played till he's about 300. Same with Mark Schwartz well, see, Green. The other day, Ben Foster had signed a new contract at Watford and seen a comment on Twitter saying, how long did it take him for sign that? The time-wasting bastard. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because he played for West Brom at our place and we drew nil-nil and he, he probably must have wasted... 10, 10 minutes at least of the game, which doesn't seem a lot. Now. 90 is massive, isn't it? Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. Now, how is it that a City team that it's not the best defence in the world, you know, when you think about the whole spectrum of teams that have played the game, but it was a pretty solid defence and it was better, that we, better than we'd had in the past. But how did we concede two goals to a holding midfielder? Yeah, two headers as well. Yeah, it's mm. pretty poor, isn't it? Yeah, he's a big game player, Fletcher, and he he scored. He did score a few headers. He scored a few important headers as well. There's one he scored against Chelsea when Marine. Yeah, yeah. Petr Cech was in there, and we beat him one nil November two thousand and five. This it was. Yeah. yeah, and that was a big shift. That that was when we were just kind of starting again, and it was a big. It was just a big moment in the course of that season. Uh, but again, it's going back to that Gary. You know, it's going back to the Gary Neville thing I was talking about before, and just someone who just got it in 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 the head, in you know, in the mindset, in the mentality. You know, bulletproof like that, really. Yeah, he was a, he was a quality Sol- player for you, Darren Fletcher. Really good player. Yeah, Bell wouldn't agree, but I think he kind of come to warm to him towards towards the end. But, Who wouldn't uh, agree? Hi, Bell. Oh, but, and they, tell him your dad's coming around here later, looking at me that, looking at me that door. Um, I, should, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Sorry. Um, genuinely, genuinely looking at the back doors at the back of my house. His dad fits doors. And this podcast oh, he, he, is sponsored If he comes by... in the next 20 minutes, Dan, if he comes in the next 20 minutes, we're getting him on here, don't you worry. Yeah, I've not got a professional yeah. Zoom account, so I don't know if we'll, we'll get the time. That's maybe one for another day. But this podcast is officially sponsored by Brybell's on the side cashing and door fitting. <laughs> Now it's yeah, what, what? What? He's not as good as Brian Robson. Right, he's shite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. It's funny though. You, you asked me before how many Mank lads are playing um, in the City team, and there ain't too many in this one as well. But we've gone, you know, back a bit more British at this point. Given Richards, Bridge, Lescott, Stephen Island, who we spoke about before, Sean Wright Phillips, Barry, Craig Bellamy. We'll take a minute to, to talk about Bellamy because I loved him when we had him. Man, he was absolute quality. The two goals he scores in this game, I mean, I appreciate that his second, it's a bad mistake by Ferdinand, isn't it? You know, such a good ball playing yeah. defender. He shouldn't be messing about doing that. But Bellamy's still got a yeah. job to do, hasn't he? Yeah, but that was, again, back to Ben Foster, was absolutely horrendous. I was been being at his front post. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought it'd overrun that. 
Um, but he's just a great player, Bellamy. I, I used to love watching him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for, for, for everything, he's, he's one of these players who, you know, you'd love to have in your team. Yeah. Gives 100%. Maldi as well. He's a bit of like he's, he's a bit of a dying art now, isn't it? In football, players like that. Yeah. Andrew Froze did that. Uh, I feel like everyone <laughs> he just took the piss under Herrera because he was on your team. I mean, another example that like, I used to hate Robin Van Persie, and I love Robin Van Persie now. Yeah. Mm. Obvious. Yeah. But, but but what I was going to say is as well, like after so it's obviously like like Bellamy, like unbelievable finish. The second one comes inside easy, but like some strike, like there's absolutely no saving it. But then after that, I think we had three chances in the space yeah. of about five or six minutes, and this was the very last time up up until now. I remember at Old Trafford, you get this, you just get this feeling that like something was coming, and we'd set our Berbatov. team wide. Yeah, Berbatov had two headers. I think Giggs had a chance, but yeah. both our wingers would go wide. Our fullbacks would be overlapping. And we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't do anything complicated. We'd do nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. We'd you'd just be like pressure, 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 um, and and you just feel something happening. And honestly, I, I don't think that's ever happened since. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It, it's interesting when I think about this game that I was thinking about past derbies and I didn't get a chance to look at all of them. How many of them are derbies where one team is? below par and one team just rises to the occasion enough how many of them are real 50-50 battles and how many of them are where one team totally doesn't turn up and the other team is on song and the only one I could think of for the latter example is is obviously the 6-1 where you were really really poor that day and we were just everything just went in our favour you also had a red card as well which didn't help but I can think yeah, of I mean, somebody well, Evans went off but I mean, up until the 90th, 90th minute, it was 3-1. And then we kind of just imploded. So, I mean, 6-1, it was 6-1. but And we were shy. But, like, don't forget, it was 3-1 up until the 90th minute. We got beat fair and square, but then we just fell apart and made it just look absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was mad what a lifetime of following United, like, the, the, the kind of delusion it would bring you on. Because I remember leaving that. I think I left when it went to five. Because even at 4-1, I'm thinking, if it's 4-1 with 10 men and two minutes of stoppage time to go, I'm thinking, something still might happen <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, that, but that's how it was at that time. Like, those days were obviously like coming to an end like here and then. But it, the, the kind of delusion it had having you you'd set in your head just being a United fan's mad. I think that's the thing. that There are games where you can be well beaten and I can think of other games where, like I think there was one where you beat us 1-0, Skull scored a couple of headers in, a couple of 1-0s. One of them Ronaldo got sent off for as well. Ronaldo caught the ball yeah. out of the air, he thought he'd heard the whistle and he got sent off. And we were really poor in those games. And you look at them and go, you lose 1-0, the, the derbies, you've got to be more up for them. If you're only going to concede one, you stand a chance if you actually turn up. And I think we've yeah. each done that. Um on various different occasions. But I can also think of other really good games as well. Like Callum, you were talking about the 3-2, uh, where Van Persie scored. I think there have been some other 3-2s yeah. as well. You beat us in the Cup and company was sent off. The 1-0 was, yeah. was, a, was, a, was a really good game as well. But there's also been some poor ones too. The Carlin Cup, in, um, when we won in the semi-final, we were together at your flat in Watling down. That's right. We had some... And I was jumping round and you started, remember you started crying. You cried in cons. Here we go. 
I remember having Domino's pizza and thinking as soon as the whistle went, I wanted you out of my house because there was nothing to gloat about and I had to drive down to, I think, Dartford the next day at 4am. I, re- I remember that much. Um, but I, I was at the first leg of that one as well and it was set up for us to win. We threw that one away. We had a WhatsApp bag in booze with a brothel above it. That's the- and, and you wonder why I don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you move so close. <laughs> but finishing this one off, because we talked about one uh, controversial striker uh, that lined up for us and the year before was lining up for you, um, a certain Michael Owen comes off the bench. Now, when you signed Owen, what ran through your head at the time? Because you were talking about this is maybe United going going down now. Yeah. Um, signing yeah. Michael Owen, what you know? What, what's going on? That's it. That's that summer we lost Ronaldo and uh, Tevez, and I think we signed Valencia, Owen, and Obertan. I mean, unbelievable. But I mean, Michael Owen with his injuries, but he was a goal scorer for sure. Um, as an eighteen-year-old kid, like talking about my dad again, my dad always refers back like when we had Danny Welbeck, Marcus Rashford. Yeah, but Michael Owen was scoring thirty goals in his eighth bye bye bar, and he was a goal scorer. He, he was brilliant, and you could keep him fit, but. I mean, he come in, he did all right. He scored an hat-trick in Champions League against Wolfsburg. Um, obviously got the winner in the derby. It was just, I mean, it was a free, wasn't it? So, but I mean, yeah. that, that yeah. summer after losing Tevez and Ronaldo was kind of a bit of a, I don't know, just a bit of a warning. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think... I've, at the time because we had Berbasov and Rooney you know you're thinking if Owen's your third choice fourth fourth choice striker I think Danny Welbeck was kind of coming into the team then I remember thinking like you know he's he's won the Ballon d'Or he's got the experience he has he, he knows where the net is like it's you know, I, I, I remember thinking it was a decent signing and also wound up a few people along the way um, yeah. so I was behind that but I think I just think with this goal like in terms of gigs with gigs with the ball and Owen with the finish they're just Two men who know the way around a football pitch. Yeah. Who, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just, just the intuition to just do what they did, which make it look as effort. You know, it, it looked like it looked like something on a, on a training ground. It just looked so easy what they did, and it really wasn't when you break it all down. You brought it down, gigs in that pressured situation and deliver that ball. Yeah, it was it was just a dream for any centre forward. He's brilliant all game here, gigs. Um, that 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 period I talk about when when the pressure builds, there's actually a bit where, and I'm not sure how old Giggs was here. Definitely going towards, if not in his mid thirties, and he, I, I think he, I think he skins your right winger and right back one after the other, puts mm. on a plate for Berbatov at the back post, and this ball he put in, this ball he put in here. I think he set up, he set up one, if not both, of Fletchers as well. He was he was brilliant, and he was a player who and. Me, me and Cal, believe it or not, used to slate Wayne Rooney occasionally. He'd have 20-minute 20 20 minute periods in games where he couldn't trap the ball. And it seems ridiculous now, looking back, that we'd ever slate someone like Wayne Rooney. But Giggs was someone who, who who a lot of fans got on the back of. I probably did once or twice. But you're looking back now and you're just like, how spoiled were we? Yeah. I think you realise it now because I don't think the football, standard of football these days is as good. And uh, but I mean for gigs for me I mean there's a lot of people like see teams go out of greatest Premier League teams and gigs is in it and people are like what Ryan Giggs is not in it and I, I do agree I don't think he, I don't think I think he was good 
and his longevity has kind of bailed him out. But I think there were better players. He wouldn't be in my United eleven. About he wouldn't he wouldn't be in my United eleven of all time. Um, it depends what your criteria for the team is, doesn't it? If it's based on you know your your legacy, your accolades, what you've won, your longevity, then it, it gets into that sort of team. But if it's based on your ability and you're aligning up, pick eleven players in their prime, and you can kind of wind the clock back for each of them to the age that they're at for the prime and face off against you know a, a La Liga team. He maybe doesn't make that, does he? You put Ronaldo on, the like, you even, put Henri on the wing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think his longevity is something that gets him. That that his longevity is something that you know you would, you might think might get him in a lot of these teams. But I think also his longevity in a way might be something that takes him out of it because if you if you threw a blanket over gigs ninety one ninety two whatever he was when he came through to ninety nine, then another one from ninety nine to two thousand and six, then another one from two thousand and six to he's like three different players. So it's almost like which which Ryan gigs are you talking about? So, so I think I think the longevity thing. I think it favours him in a way, but I don't think it does in another. Like if you just took gigs ninety one to ninety nine, like you'd struggle finding any any winger ever who was like as exciting as him, who, who could who could travel with a ball like him. Yeah, yeah. And then he changed his role to going inside as he got a bit old, flicking it around the corner. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's funny you talk about the criteria for making a team, though, because George Best makes a lot of people's teams, and I'm unqualified to say, I never saw him play live, and I've not seen that much of his, his highlight reel either, but people talk about what George Best did in a couple of years, had he sustained that level over a longer period, so we're putting yeah. him in, whereas Ryan Giggs actually plays for that length of period of time, has flashes of brilliance throughout, as you say, Jack, different spells, maybe not as yeah. good a player, but... You know, he can't get near it. Seems seems a bit inconsistent, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. My dad says for um, his greatest players I've seen, Brian Robson, he said he could do everything. Everything. Ed, tackle, score, pass, everything. Mm. He said he's just solid every match, consistent. Well, I'm even going... he... go, on. go on. No, no, go on. All right. All right. Well, I was gonna I was gonna leave you with this one to wrap it up. Uh, I'm not doing my combined 11 with Callum because we'll be arguing nah what I wanted to ask you was if there was one player one City player that you had you know you have to take a City player and put him in your team if you had your pick from from any time ever you're going Aguero Um, David Silva oh good call for me that's that's the 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 10 years the, the last 10 years we've had that's the player we've We've missed a David Silva more than anyone, I think. Matter not close to that in style, maybe not ability, but in style. Just, just, just creativity. Just someone who can, just someone with a bit of an imagine, imagination who can unlock a defence. Like he's unbelievable. He's you great to watch one, as well. You could set one United player down. Who would it be? Ferdinand. Of the last ten years. Yeah. <laughs> would you? Yeah, I'd take Ferdinand. I mean, I took this team here, right? You've got you've got um, Lescott and and Torre, Colo Torre. Neither of them are quality ball playing centre backs. You know, mm. they're, they're both they'll, they'll front up the man basically, and they're and they're, they're a touch slow as well. Um, of you know, they they got pretty slow pretty quick as the careers wore on. And even people talk about company. I talked about it in the last podcast. Company started as a, as a midfielder for City. 
Yeah, he can't yeah. pass the ball accurately six feet sideways. Fantastic tackler, fantastic reader of where the player's going, and timing a crunching tackle at pace, 100%. Fantastic in the air, good organiser. Can he pass a ball? I don't think so. And I don't think, you know, for a long, long period of time, we've, we've really had a player like that at that level. We've never really had that. And it would be the difference mm. for us in Europe. I think it really would be. So there you go. Mm. Well, that. Bombshell. You said what? Well, the last ten years. I just said any time, any time, oh. any time. Well, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and they were talking about um, the Fergie Wenger rivalry, and Mourinho seemed to unite the two of them in the end, and they become best of frenemies. And apparently, you know, they're still good friends again now. So it's nice to talk so openly and constructively about the City United rivalry with you both. I feel like Liverpool has made us, you know, almost like more um, more respectable neighbours now with um, Liverpool in the ascendancy. But yeah, obviously football's back next weekend and um, they're going to swipe it. So I look forward to uh, City and United duking it out for one and two in the future because it is a bit more fun for us when that's happening. Yeah, 100%. Do that one. And in all fairness, um, Callum was a nightmare at school when it came to City and United, but he's um, a little bit fairer and a little bit more balanced now. Uh, and as such, I felt we had an half decent conversation. Well, uh, as I said right at the start, this is um, this is the end of the road for the Working Man's Football Podcast, at least for now anyway. Um, I've had loads of messages from the lads that have got involved afterwards, how much they've enjoyed it, and um, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that, because that's exactly what it's been about, just having a bit of fun, sharing football matches with your mates, um, because y- you couldn't really do that during lockdown, and in fact, I can't really do that anyway, being over in Australia, it is a little bit harder, because you know of the time difference, um, and not being able to to get to games so I'm very thankful and very appreciative for everybody's um, time and energy that they've given me Uh, Lee, Richard, Chris, Paul, um, my old man, uh, Will and also uh, Callum and uh, and Jack there as well Um, yeah it means a lot and of course Wongi over in Korea as well we went international in the end which is absolutely fantastic so yeah, I guess all that's left to say is thanks and, uh, and goodbye for now. Um, so we'll sign off on uh, on that note as we welcome back the Premier League like later on in the week. For the credits, as always, um, the music is a, a jingle by the artist Kevin McLeod. And of course, I pay my respects to um, the elders and the tribe of the Boomerang people, um, the traditional owners of the land upon where I'm recording this podcast in my home makeshift studio in Elwood, Melbourne, Australia. Um, I've been Danny these lot have been the boys this has been the Working Man's Football Podcast stay safe